Good morning. I want to begin this morning by asking you all a question. I don't need you to raise your hands, but just think about the answer to this question. How many of you would like to be great? Just think about that for a moment. How many of you would like to be great? Now, I know what a lot of you are thinking. You're thinking secretly, yeah, I'd like to be great, but I don't dare say that because we're in the middle of this sermon series that's called Selfless, and that sounds kind of selfish to, to want to be great, right? Some of you thinking that. But what if I were to tell you that Jesus actually wants us to be great? It's just that He measures greatness in a much different way than the world tends to measure greatness. Yeah, think about our world and the way we tend to measure greatness. We measure it by power and prestige and possessions and position and all those kind of things. We measure it by what kind of degrees people have gained. We measure it by how many initials they have after their name, right? How much they've accumulated. So if we were to take a poll, let's say, of, and ask who are some of the greatest people in the world today, we would get answers like athletes, we would get answers like actors and actresses, famous singers, maybe CEOs of companies, um, people who are wealthy. They would all be at the top of the list, and we've even created a, a, an acronym to describe those kind of people. We call them GOATs. Now, not that kind of GOAT, but G-O-A-T, the acronym, which means the greatest of all times. And that's actually a, a fairly recent um, acronym. It wasn't added to the dictionary until I think like something like 2018. And that's how we measure greatness in our world today. And, and so we have all of these. Well, Jesus is going to show us today in the passage that we're going to look at that it's okay to be great. Matter of fact, we ought to want to be great, but we, ought to, we want to do it on His terms and not on the world's terms. So, so the, today we're going to be looking at a passage in Matthew, or not Matthew, Mark chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, you might want to begin to turn there. We're going to begin in verse 35 today in just a moment. But before we do that, I think it's always important for us to kind of give the context of the passage that we're going to look at. And that's really true today. We need to understand where this fits within Mark's gospel. And when you get to Mark's gospel, there's actually a whole section that goes from chapters 8 to 10. And it, it makes up kind of a unit within Mark's gospel. And within that unit, there are three different themes that Jesus continually preaches on there. As he makes his way towards Jerusalem where he's going to die on the cross, he has all these different encounters with people and he uses the different encounters to teach his disciples. And there's three themes. The first one, he speaks a lot about the kingdom of God and what that's like. The second thing is he talks about his upcoming res or, uh, crucifixion and his resurrection. And we're going to see today the disciples still don't get that. He talks about it time after time. They just don't get it. And then he talks about this idea of the first becoming last and the last becoming first. And, and we're going to see that again today. And it's something that Jesus taught over and over and over. And his disciples just don't seem to get it. And I think they're a lot like us, right? Sometimes we have to hear something over and over and over again before we get it too. I know sometimes you guys with the sermons, you get tired of hearing... Man, Pat's talked about that before. Why doesn't he move on to something else? But the thing is, maybe someone else didn't get it the first time, and maybe you need a reminder of it too. And so we need to, we need to, to realize here that Jesus teaches these things over and over again because, as we're going to see today, the disciples really don't get it. 
So with that in mind, I'm going to go ahead and read this morning from uh, Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 35, and you can go ahead and follow along as I read. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand, in glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drank, or to be baptized with the baptism with with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. (laughs) And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant but it is for those for, who, for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to him and said to him, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Kind of an interesting passage. And here's the idea that I think really clearly comes out of the passage this morning, is that is this. In God's kingdom, the way to greatness is servanthood and slavery. Servanthood and slavery. That's not really how we want to be great in the world, is it? To be servants or to be slaves. But that's exactly what Jesus is teaching here. Now, if you read Matthew's account of this same same encounter that Jesus has, you realize that, that James and John, that their mom comes along with them. And she's the one that first asked Jesus for this same thing that they're asking for. And, and I read that and I think, come on, guys, just man up a little bit. You're going to bring your mother along with you, you know. Can't you just ask Jesus on your own? But when we begin to understand who their mother is, then it, it begins, we begin to understand a little more why that happened. Their mother's name is Salome. And if you, you have to kind of take and put all four of the gospel accounts together, but you, you come to learn that Salome is actually the sister of Mary, who is Jesus' mother. So it's Jesus' aunt. So it's basically she's asking for kind of a family favor here. But she's not asking just for herself. She's asking for her sons. And, and I wonder if she isn't like some of the helicopter parents that we have today. Maybe she was the original helicopter mom. I don't know. And, and it seems almost like she's trying to kind of live vicariously through the accomplishments of her sons. You know, we see a lot of people do that today in our culture, don't we? I mean, I think of people I know that, that have spent oh, so much time and so many financial resources because they think their son or daughter is going to be the next Olympic champion or the next professional athlete or a famous singer or actor or something else. Or I, I think about people who drive around, and, and I don't want to offend anyone, if you happen to have this bumper sticker on your car, but you know how many of you have seen this bumper sticker on the car? This one, actually, there's another one I saw that's similar to it. This is actually my favorite one here. But it seems kind of like that's, that's what 
Salome's doing here with their kids. And they ask for something, they ask for something really bold here. They come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, will you just give us whatever we ask for? Now that seems pretty bold to me. I don't know about you. It's almost like they, they treat Jesus like I think a lot of people do, like he's some kind of magic genie who's there to give you your three wishes. Minded this older gentleman who was up in his attic and he finds this, this lamp and it's all dusty and, and so he rubs it and cleans it off and of course a genie appears, like always happens when you have an old lamp in the attic, you know. And the genie says, hey look, I'm going to give you your three wishes because genies always do that. They always give three wishes, right? So the guy thinks for a moment, he says, well, I'd like to be rich. Genie says, no problem, I just put $5 million in your bank account. Guy says, this is pretty good. So he says, well, what's your second wish? And so he thinks for a little bit, and he says, you know, I'd like to be young again. Poof, the guy's 25 years old again. He's in great physical shape. He's thinking, this is pretty good. So Jeannie says, you got one more wish. You better make it really, really good. And he thinks for a little bit, and he goes, you know, I'd like you to make me irresistible to women. And the genie turns him into a box of chocolates. Now, the, the, the demands or the, what the James and John asked for, they're just about as outrageous as that and ridiculous. They say to Jesus, Jesus, can we sit on your right hand and your left hand when you come into glory? Those were the positions of, of power. They would have been second only to that of, of Jesus himself. And they want those positions of power. And we look at that and we say, how, how could they possibly ask for something like that? But actually, Jesus had told them something earlier that, that, that maybe was in their minds, maybe they were thinking about. Here's what Jesus had told them back in the book of Matthew in chapter 19. He said to them, truly, I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So Jesus had promised they were going to have a place of prominence, a place of power within his kingdom when it came to be. But the problem with them is that they, they weren't just satisfied with being part of that. They wanted, they wanted to make sure that they were one of the top ones. You know, They wanted to be second in line only to Jesus. Now, I think they're, they're, they fell prey to something that, that we have in our culture today. There was kind of this entitlement mentality they had, right? They thought somehow that they had earned or deserved these places of honor. I also think they were wanting to make sure that they asked first before the rest of the apostles so that they might have, you know, kind of dibs on it, kind of like... When you're a kid and you get in the car and you yell, the first one to yell shotgun gets to sit in the first seat, the front seat, and I, I think they kind of thought that. And so they're, they're asking for this here. And, and they feel entitled. But really, you think about it, they hadn't done anything to deserve that. They weren't the smartest people around. They weren't the most educated. They weren't wealthy. They didn't have positions of honor. They were chosen just because Jesus wanted to choose them. And we have, I think, a whole generation right now that, that is a lot like that, right? They feel like they're entitled to all this free stuff just because they're born, I guess. 
And unfortunately, at least from my perspective, we have a lot of politicians who are willing to give them all that free stuff just so they can stay, keep getting elected over and over again. But they've done nothing to earn that or deserve it. Now I'm going to come back to Jesus' response to them in just a moment. Before I do that, I want to kind of skip ahead to verse 41 where we see how the other ten respond. You know, Peter and James, they make this request to Jesus and it says that the other ten became indignant. Now they should have become indignant, but I think they did it for all the wrong reasons. If you look at Jesus' response to them, I think you'll see this. I mean, they should have been indignant that these that their, their two brothers were asking Jesus for this because it was disrespectful of Jesus. It wasn't something they were entitled to. But you know what? I don't think they're indignant because of that. They're indignant because they didn't think to ask for it first. And they're probably also indignant because they think, hey, who do, you, who do you guys think you are, James and John? And so they became really indignant at this. They, they were mad that they weren't going to be the ones there. And Jesus, as He speaks to all of them, He begins to help us to understand what we said this morning about this passage, that in God's kingdom, that the way to greatness is servanthood and slavery. It's not being in a prominent place or a prominent position where people look up to you. And so as Jesus answers them, He's going to help us to understand how it is that we can develop the heart of a servant. Because that's the way to greatness in the kingdom of God. So the first thing that we want to do is we want to look to the example of Jesus. And we see this here in the very last verse, in verse 45. It says that even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give. And so we want to look at that example. That's what Jesus did. That's what His whole life is about. A lot of you are probably familiar with Philippians chapter 2. And in that chapter, Paul describes how humble Jesus was when He came to this earth. That He came as a servant. And I, I often wonder, did Paul think back to these words of Jesus that he spoke right here? Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. We're not going to go back and look at all of Philippians 2 this morning just for time constraints, but I want to encourage you to do that this week. As a matter of fact, at the end of this message, I'm going to give you a homework assignment, and that's going to be part of your homework. But we see here that this example of Jesus, that He came, that He left the glory of heaven, that He gave up the worship that was going on there, the kind of worship that we sang about this morning where the angels are sitting around and singing, Holy is the Lord, and He left that. He left heaven. He came here to earth, and He willingly served us by giving His life on the cross. And so we need to, we need to look to His example because Jesus is the perfect example of someone who is willing to be a servant and a slave. The second thing that I have to do is I have to check my motives. See, I don't think Jesus was so upset that they asked for what they asked just because of that, but he was more concerned with their motives. He doesn't even condemn them for asking for that, but what he does condemn is the, the motives behind it. The fact that they wanted these places of position and honor for themselves. And sometimes I think that, that we think the church is kind of immune to that, but unfortunately it is not. And it really breaks my heart to see what is going on a lot, especially here in the, in the Western world in which we live, in which we now have all these like 
celebrity pastors and, and celebrity worship leaders and things like that. Now, I'm going to be really clear here. I'm in no position to judge anyone's heart or to judge their motives. I can't do that. Only God can. But as I look around, I do see some things that, that really concern me and at least make me begin to question what some of the motives are behind some of the things going on in the church today. There was a group of us um, here in this room who were fortunate enough back in 2007 to go to a worship event um, up in Phoenix where there were two well-known worship leaders who were, were leading this. And um, a couple hours before the concert that night, they actually sat down with a bunch of pastors and worship leaders, didn't charge anything for it, spent about an hour just talking about worship and how we could improve worship within the church. And I was amazed by that, by the heart that would do that. Fast forward to today, one of those worship leaders is part of another tour that's beginning right now. And as part of this tour, they have this experience package that you can buy tickets for. And it seems to me like that experience package, it's more like something you would expect at the Oscars or an award show or something. You know, you get to take pictures with the, the worship leaders. You get to walk the red carpet and have them take your pictures and everything. Up in Phoenix, they're holding one of these, these events, and the tickets are $300 a person for the opportunity to go and do that. And again, I, I, I can't know the heart, but, but it really be, makes you begin to worship, worry or think about what are the motives behind that. And we need to be careful too because we're all just as prone to doing that the same. You know, we can, serve, we can even serve and be really good servants, but do it for the wrong reasons and for the wrong motives. We can do it so other people will notice us. We can even do it, and I see this a lot, because it makes me feel good, so I'm going to serve other people. That's not the kind of motives that we're supposed to do that for, so we need to be able to check our motives. The third thing that we need to do is that we need, we, we need to be willing to make sacrifices. To make sacrifices. That's what Jesus calls them to, to do here. And he talks about the fact that, that he's going to drink a cup and that he's going to be baptized. And, and he asks him, you guys think you can do that too? And oh yeah, Jesus, no problem, we can do that. They had no idea what they were talking about. When he talks about the cup that he was about to drink, the cup was a, a picture of a life experience. And that life experience for Jesus was he was about to go to the cross and be nailed to the cross and die for their sins. It's the same word that he uses when he's there in the garden and he's praying before he goes to the cross. And we see, we see this a little later on in Mark, in Mark chapter 14. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup, same word, from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So the cup was going to die on the cross. And he asked him, can you drink this cup? Oh yeah, Jesus, we can do that. They were all going to run off and hide as soon as he gets nailed to the cross. They couldn't even stick around for that. And then he says, can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to go through? We've talked about this before. The word baptism just means to be immersed. And he's saying, I'm going to be immersed in this whole thing where I'm going to die on the cross God's going to pour out all the sins of the world upon me as I'm on the cross. He says, can you go through that? Oh yeah, Jesus, we can do that. 
They, they had no idea what they were talking about. Now, he says, yeah, you're going to experience a cup later on. James was probably the first of the apostles to be killed, likely beheaded at the order of King Agrippa. And John, John lives the longest of all the apostles, but he ends up in exile on, a, on the island of Patmos. So they were going to drink a cup, but it wasn't going to be anything near what Jesus was going to experience. They had no idea of the, the sacrifice that he was going to make. And when we're going to serve other people, when we're going to be a slave to other people, we have to sometimes make some sacrifices. It might cost us our time. It might cost us our resources. It might cost us our reputation. It might cost us our job. But there's always a cost associated with being servants to other people. But that's how we get to be great in the kingdom of God. The fourth thing that I have to do is I have to be willing to yield my rights. kind of already mentioned this. That's what Jesus did. He had the right to be in heaven, to be worshipped, to be getting glory. And he gave, willingly gave up that right to come here to the earth and willingly die on the cross to take all our sins upon him and to die on the cross and then to be raised from the dead. And he says here, he says, if you want to be the greatest of all, you need to be a servant and you need to be a slave. The word for servant there is the word diakonos. We get our word deacon from it. It's a word that talked about people who would do the lowliest tax, tasks in that culture. Things like waiting on tables or, or probably like the first job I ever had, which was cleaning up bathrooms at a gas station. The good thing about that, there's nowhere to go but up if, they, if you start there as your first job, right? But that's what he's talking about. That's the kind of the person you need to be, the one who's willing to go clean the toilets. And then he says you need to be a slave. The word there is doulos. It means a bondservant. And a bondservant had absolutely no rights of his own or her own. They were at the complete mercy of their master. They did whatever the master told them to do. And he says if you want to, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you need to be willing to give up your rights. Unfortunately, we live in a, in a culture where there's so much emphasis on this is my right and I'm going to hang on to my rights. And, and sometimes for the sake of other people, for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of being great in the way that Jesus wants us to be great, we have to be willing to give up some of those rights. So in God's kingdom... The way to greatness is servanthood and slavery. So I want to make this really practical as we close today. So I'm going to give you a homework assignment for this week. And I'm going to ask you to do a few things that I think will help to, to kind of cement this into your mind and to begin to make it a way of life for you. The first thing I'm going to ask you to do is read Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Just read that every day. You can do it in a minute or two. And just be reminded of the humility that Jesus had, of the, the servant that he was. Second thing is to pray, to pray this, Lord, make me a servant today. Pretty simple, right? I think that's a, one of those prayers God would delight to answer that. If you really pray that, if you really mean it from your heart, I think God will answer that prayer. And that leads us to the third thing that I want you to do is then for, to look for those opportunities to serve others. 
I'm pretty sure that if you pray, God, make me a servant, he's going to bring some opportunities into your life that day. And you just have to be aware of them and look for them. They might look a little different than what you're expecting. So ask God's Holy Spirit to help you to identify those. And then here's where the rubber meets the road. You have to eventually take some appropriate action, right? You have to do something about it. It's not just enough to have an opportunity. It's not just enough to have a a servant's heart. You actually have to do something about that. And here's where discernment comes in, because I know you you can't help everyone that comes across your path. You're not equipped to do that, but you can help some of the people there. So you have to take some action and do that. And then finally, here's what I want you to do at the end of the day, is I want you to pray for those you've served. Pray. Ask God to bless them. Ask God to use your act of service in their life to be a motivation so that they might go out and serve someone else. Ask God to draw them close to Him. Pretty simple, right? I'm going to ask you to go ahead and do this every day this week. I know most of you won't, but You know what? Even if you would do this two or three days this week, I think God could use that to begin to change your heart. Begin to make you more of a servant. Have this attitude of a slave. Because what we've seen this morning is that there are really two paths to greatness. If you want to be great in this world, the path to greatness is self-promotion. But if you want to be great in God's kingdom, the path is self-denial. And those two paths, they, they're, they're not, you can't walk them both at the same time. You have to choose one or the other. You have to choose whether you want to be great in the world or great in the kingdom of God. It's really kind of paradoxical, isn't it? In the kingdom of God, if you want to get it to the top, you have to go through the bottom every time. But if you'll have that servant's heart like Jesus did, if you be a slave like Jesus did, then you can be great where it really counts in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, I, I believe that the people that are here today do want to be great in your kingdom. And Father, I pray that you would help to develop in each one of us a, a heart of being a servant, of being a slave. That we would willingly give up our rights, that we would be willing to to make sacrifices so that we could serve others and be great in your kingdom, Father. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.